You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. is the Word of God or it is not the Word of God. There is no in-between. There is no in-between. Here Paul is declaring that the Word of God, when received as it is, is the actual Word of God. It's going to work effectively in you. In other words, it's going to do a work in you. When you choose to receive the Word of God for what it is, God's inerrant Word, it's going to start working in you. The Word of God will start to work in you. And that will cause application. That will cause you to do something. Have you ever thought about how you apply the Word of God to your everyday life? In today's message, Pastor Dave talks about how we're called to live out the Word of God. We can't just read it and leave it. We need to let it transform us. The Word of God outlines how we're supposed to live. We just need to let it transform us. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 1 as he continues his message, The Ascension of Jesus Christ. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that we have been freely given to us by God. These things which also we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's why we go to the Holy Spirit. We want to know to go to the source. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. If you've been born again, the Holy Spirit is now taking up residence inside of you. And that Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you into all truth. That the Holy Spirit will show you the things of the Bible and make them clear to you. So therefore, why would we try to interpret the text or apply the text without the Holy Spirit? You can't do it. We need to read it. So after we appeal to the Holy Spirit for help, we then take the main point and apply it to our life. And we answer those six questions. Is there an example? Is there sin? Is there error? Is there something I should avoid? Is there a promise to claim? And finally, is there a command I should obey? And the final tool in the application process is the so what now tool. So what now? What do I do now? What do I plan to do about it? Now that I've read this thing and I've seen there's something to happen, what do I plan to do about it? What's my response? What difference will this make in my life? What specific plans can I make in my life? What will I do? How will I do it? What good is reading the Scriptures of, of God, the Word of God, and not applying them to our lives? It serves no We need to be spiritually based. We need to be scripturally based. Remember, we need to be biblically based, and we need to be correct in applying it. One more place I want you to turn to real quick. In the Gospel of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus himself talks about obeying the word of the Lord. Jesus himself talks about obeying the word of the Lord and showing us these things. Turn to Luke 6, please. 
Three verses we're going to read here. In verse 46 and 49 in Luke 6, Jesus is speaking. It says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show him whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the steam beat vehemently against that house and could not make it shake, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built his house on the earth without the foundation, against which steam beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. Jesus clearly says, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I've asked you to do? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? You say, Lord, Lord, and rightly so, then why don't you do what I ask you to do? Why don't you do those things? I think our, my, our reactions to that question might go back to what we talked about last week is, how do you receive the Word of God? After all, if you don't think that this is God's Word, if you don't think that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, if you don't think that it's inerrant or if it's infallible, and if you don't think it's the true Word of God, you're not going to be moved to obey it. You're not going to want to obey it because you don't believe it. It all depends on how you receive it, how you receive it. Remember the scripture we used last week, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. I'll read it for you. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. How do you see, receive the Word of God? Do you receive it as just pages on words? Do you receive it with your ears closed going, as God speaks to you? How do you receive His Word? And if you don't believe, and if you believe it's true, do you believe it all to be true? And if you don't believe it's all true, which parts do you throw out? Well, I certainly throw out the parts that tell me I'm going to hell. I don't want those parts. And some of this other stuff I don't want either. Because it means I have to do something. i got to change my life. I don't want any of that. It can't be true. Hogwash. Print on paper. That's the reaction. Either it is the Word of God or it is not the Word of God. There is no in-between. There is no in-between. Here Paul is declaring that the Word of God, when received as it is, is the actual Word of God. It's going to work effectively in you. In other words, it's going to do a work in you. When you choose to receive the Word of God for what it is, God's inerrant Word, it's going to start working in you. The Word of God will start to work in you, and that will cause application. That will cause you to do something. Something will begin to happen to you. It'll begin to happen inside. There'll be a metamorphosis, a transformation, and this change is going to be noticeable to you, and guess what? It's going to be noticeable to others as well because the change is going to start to take place. You won't be the same person that you were. So we see that accurate application of the Scriptures is extremely important to the Christian. Reading and studying the Word of God can only be valuable when we correctly and accurately apply it to our lives. Every morning, I spent some time with Mr. Oswald Chambers. He wrote a fantastic book, and it was called My Utmost for His Highest. Actually, it's a compilation of all his writings, and they put it in a form of a devotion. And I read that every single day. And what, I tell you what. Yeah, here's the, here's the shameful plug. It's available in our bookstore. But what a, great, what a grateful, what a, what a wonderful, wonderful book. What a wonderful way to wake up with the Lord. 
This is what he says. And he just said this, I think it was the 12th. I think the 12th or the 13th when he said it, just a couple days ago. One of the tests for determining if the work of salvation in your life is genuine is has God changed the things that really matter to you? Think about that. That's one of the ways you can tell if the work of salvation in your life is genuine. Has God changed those things that has mattered to you most? He says, goes on and says, if you are born again, the Spirit of God makes the change very evident in your real life and your thought. Think about that. And that's scriptural. That's scriptural because the scripture he had at the top of the page was 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what the Word of God does. It changes you. And this is why so many people are so afraid of it. I don't want to change. Hence lies the problem. Therein lies the problem. The Word of God changes you the way you see the world. The Word of God changes the way you see yourself. And the Word of God changes the way you look at others. When we accurately apply the Word of God to our lives, one of those six things will be accomplished. I will follow the example. I will forsake a sin. I will avoid this error. I will claim the promises of God. Yeah, everybody wants that one. Let's claim those promises. And I will obey the Lord's commands. There will be a difference in my life, and it will be noticeable. Peter stands in the midst of the brethren, in the midst of the brethren, and he declares that the scriptures needed to be fulfilled. We've already expounded that Peter did this correctly. He interpreted them correctly. We said that if it hadn't been for Peter, we probably wouldn't have interpreted it this way at all. Peter believed and was biblically based. The new believers believed and they were biblically based. But Peter decides that he's going to help out with the fulfillment of this interpretation. Remember my question last week? This is a quiz. Anybody remember it? Nah, nobody. That's okay. I'm going to read it to you anyhow. Was the Holy Spirit leading the discussion, or was this just something we saw Peter, you know, impetuous Peter, doing on his own thing? Our discussion in John 20, 22, remember we said that when Jesus looked at them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on them, the Holy Spirit came into him. We said that this was the disciples' born-again experience, that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was in them. So certainly, Peter had the Holy Spirit in him. He had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. These new believers had the Holy Spirit inside them. However, as of yet, the promise of the Father had not been given. The Holy Spirit had not fallen upon them as Jesus had promised. What was their command? Wait. That was their command. Wait for the promise of the Father, he said in Acts 1.4. So Peter interprets this scriptures. And in verses 21 and 22 in Acts, he begins to apply them. He begins to apply them. Therefore, these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus came in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness to us with his resurrection. There are many people who followed Jesus throughout his ministry. We know that there were women we know that there were other men other than just the 12. And in this upper room, there's 120 of them there. In verse 23, Peter goes on and he selects two men. He selects Joseph, called Bersabbas, whose surname is Justice, and he selects Matthias. Now, stupidly, I'm thinking, well, the reason they chose Matthias is because they want to introduce him. Oh, this is Joseph or Bersabbas or Justice. I mean, you know, take your pick. 
So Matthias was a lot easier to say, I guess. I don't know. That's why they chose him. But he selects two men. What do we know about these guys? What do we know about these guys? Peter just gave the qualifications for apostleship. Peter just gave the qualifications for apostleship. They had to be with Jesus. Well, these guys were with Jesus. There were some of them. They were there during his ministry. They were probably counted in the 70 that went out in Luke 10, verses 1 through 12. And they're the same ones that came back rejoicing, rejoicing in Luke 10, verses 17 through 20. And they're rejoicing, and Jesus says, don't rejoice because you cast out demons. Don't rejoice because you healed the sick and made the lame cure. Rejoice because your names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He was probably in that group. They'd been witness of many miraculous things. They traveled with Jesus place to place. Who knows? They may be close enough to touch him or hug him or talk to him personally. They might have been in the garden when their troops came and arrested Jesus. Did they see the crucifixion? But they did see the resurrected Christ. They were there when they saw the resurrected Christ, and now they're in the upper room with the believers. Some even think that this Bersabbath, or Justice, Bersabbath, whatever, might even be Barnabas. Talk about being confusing to a mom. Which one are you today? (laughs) I'm not so sure on that one, but they said that this might even be Barnabas himself. We're not sure. But these men met the qualifications that Peter just gave out. They met the qualifications. And look what they do next. Look what the disciples do next in verse 24 and 25. They pray. Hallelujah. They use the first tool that we talked about in the application process. Praise God. What an example. They pray. Can you believe that? Let me ask you something. I know the answer to me, and I'll tell you it's not the first thing I do when I get into a crisis. Is the first thing you do get in a crisis pray? I usually don't. Yeah, well, somebody said right after panic, right over the sun, you know. I usually don't eat as far as, as, far as whoa! Then it's like, oh, okay, pray. Yeah, yeah. What? What? We have all this power between our fingertips, and yet we refuse to pray. We refuse to seek the Lord's help. We want to act in the flesh so fast. And pretty soon the flesh doesn't work. We go, well, we better pray. You know, I've said this a million times. The people on the Titanic, when it was sinking, somebody said, should we pray? Has it come to that? Well, yeah. It usually comes to that. We need to pray. I love the example that they gave us. They're going to pray. They're going to pray to the Lord. I love it. I love it. Look at the prayer they pray. They ask for God's guidance on how they should vote. Ooh, a couple weeks ago. Did you ask for God's guidance on how you should vote? We should. We should ask for God's guidance. Remember I said vote with a biblical view. We should ask for God's guidance. But they prayed to the Lord, show us which one of these guys we should choose. Because you know everybody's heart. What a great prayer. What a wonderful prayer they're praying. You know everybody's heart. Lord, show us which way so that we can instruct them. Which one do you want God to appoint? Which one do you want us to do? Verse 26 tells us they made the decision. Tells us how they made the decision. They cast lots and the lots fell on Matthias. And I remember the first time I read this verse. I laughed. I was a gambler. Hey, one of my wretched sins were gambling. I was a gambling, and I loved to play dice. I loved to throw the bones. Man, did I love it. But, you know, when I became a Christian and I read this, I laughed out loud. That was my first impression of this verse. I laughed out loud. I said to myself, yeah, seek God and throw dice. Hmm. And I went, what? What were they doing? But when I started to learn the Scriptures... There are some verses in the Bible that say that back then, casting lots was a way of telling what the Lord wanted to do. There are some scriptures that support what they did. 
There's some scriptures in this thing that say casting lots is an okay way to find out what God's will is at that time. One of them is Proverbs 16, verse 33. It says, the lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Bless you. It's every decision from the Lord. So the Lord is leading here. While casting lots may have not been that way to determine God's will, we see that there's several last events in this thing that might help us answer the main question. Did Peter act impulsively or did he act by the Spirit? We want to know if Peter's application was correct. First thing was, this is the last time lots are ever mentioned in the Bible as being cast. The last time. Why do you think that? Because the Holy Spirit fell. Holy Spirit came upon them. Holy Spirit came upon them and now guided them and led them and led them from now on. The Holy Spirit helped them determine God's word. Every time Paul wanted to go here, it says in Acts, the Holy Spirit forbade them. The Holy Spirit helped them go this way, helped them go that way. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So the Holy Spirit fell. There's no more, no more lots being cast. This kind of reinforces the notion that Peter did not wait for the promise of the Father as he might have been, as he should have. The other last we see in this verse is Matthias. Who was Matthias? I went to the concordance this morning and I looked up Matthias and he's only mentioned twice in these two, two sentences. That's it. Now, I'm sure he was a wonderful saint and I can't wait to meet him. I'm sure he was a wonderful guy. And I'm sure he had a ministry. I know he was there on Pentecost. He got the Holy Spirit. He must have had a wonderful, great ministry, but we never hear about him again. We don't hear about the things that he did. There are two opinions of this event. There's two opinions here of this event and the application that Peter's doing here. On one side, we see the scholars that believe that Peter did indeed follow the correct application of the Scriptures. And the other side, we see a group of scholars who think Peter did not think accurately when he followed the Scriptures here, when he applied them to the text. My very own Warren Wiersbe, I love Warren Wiersbe, I quote him a lot, I look at him, and I greatly respect him as a Bible scholar and a commentator. He believes that Peter acted correctly. And this is what he says. When speaking about the 12th disciple, again, we get a differing opinions. Some say that Paul is a 12th disciple, clearly called by Jesus on the road to Damascus. But Paul doesn't fit the qualifications proposed by Peter in our text today. Paul also made it clear that he was not to be classified with the 12 in Galatians 1, 15 to 24, 1 Corinthians 15 and 8. If Paul was to be one of them, they didn't show it. When he showed up, they refused to admit him until Barnabas had to come to his rescue in Acts 9, 26 and 27. Also, the 12 were sent to minister to the house of Israel. Paul was sent to the Gentiles. This is what he says. So he makes the case that Peter acted correctly in appointing Matthias. On the other hand, to many, it seems reckless to cast lots and ask the Lord to bless it after you cast a lot. This would say to the new church that there are other means for determining God's will other than the Holy Spirit. Speaking of these other means, mentally, this is what gets us into trouble and keeps us out of God's will. We must always strive to be in the center of God's will. We can't do things with good intentions and expect the Lord to bless them. We need to do what the early church failed to do in this instance. We need to wait upon the Lord. We need to wait upon the Lord to clearly show us His will. We cannot expect the Lord to rubber stamp everything we choose because He won't. He will not just rubber stamp everything you choose to do. 
my pastor from Vineland, Pastor Frank Ippolito, wrote a dissertation for his doctoral degree on this very book, the book of Acts. He happens to believe that Peter did make a mistake. He says the same people questioned Peter's list of qualifications for apostleship. Where did he get these? So maybe these aren't the exact qualifications for apostleship. Some suggest that the Lord's apostles were ill-equipped to do anything at all until the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, came upon them. These new believers did not wait. They carried out church businesses when it was not theirs to carry out. This is why we need to be extremely careful when we study and interpret Scriptures. The Lord is the author of the Bible. He wrote it, and there can only be one interpretation that He wants us to know about it, His interpretation. We certainly might find more than one application, but there is only one interpretation. Pastor Frank continued, and he says, if Peter erred, he erred in the application of the text to himself. But he interpreted the verses exactly. By applying the Scripture to himself, he made himself and the other disciples responsible for appointing another to replace Judas, a task which was not theirs, but the Lord's. Remember, the Lord chose the apostles. The Lord went around and chose each and every one of them. And there are many, 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 many scholars who think the 12th apostle was truly none other than Paul. And that's what the belief is. The neat thing about this is you have two camps. We have two sides. And you remember what we said last, last week? We can agree to disagree on some issues. This is one of those issues we can agree to disagree about. Because you know what? I don't make a hill of beans to my salvation. Whether Peter applied this correctly or not, it really doesn't make a hill of beans. But we look at it because we need to apply correctly by the Holy Spirit. And now that the Holy Spirit has fallen, we can wait on Him and we can have Him guide us in our interpretation, guide us in our application, and make changes in our life. So we can see that the study of the Scripture was important to the early church. It's a distinctive that became the church's wisdom. Likewise, the study of the Scripture should, our be, should be our distinctive as well. Our wisdom comes from the Scriptures. Paul exhorts the young pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13. He says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And again, Paul speaks to the elders of Ephesus and says this, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. To receive the entire counsel of God, you need to go through the Bible cover to cover, which is one of the things I hope to do here at Calvary Chapel Cape May. Go through the entire Bible so that we can have the entire counsel of God. Because in Isaiah 28, 13, it says, the, Lord, the word of the Lord was upon them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. We need the entire counsel of God. It is so important in our lives that we receive godly counsel, His entire counsel. It's so important in our lives that we interpret it correctly through the Holy Spirit, and it is so important in our lives that we apply it correctly. When we apply God's Word correctly, our lives will change. There will be a change in our lives, and Jesus will shine forth. Amen. You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. 
In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out, and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too, and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope. Rescued us, we're ready now to stand up on our feet. Born again, we now go out. We set our hope on the grace.